Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the call between now and 1pm Eastern. We take a look at 10 stocks you've suggested. We put them to uh, two gurus of the industry on our panel for their analysis and uh, uh, we do it all in 60 minutes. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, delighted to have on the team today, uh, Howard Coleman from Team Invest, Johnny S via Skype. Howard, afternoon to you. Afternoon, David. Good to be with you again. Always great to have you. And also Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners. Yes. Adam, welcome. Thank you. Looking cool, calm and collected We're trying today. to. Trying to be. Well done. Trying. Um, last time Adam was on, I think he made a sprint from Shoreham Partners. <laughs> <That's right>. and <laughs> was Sweating, like a marathon. Just, yeah. It was, you had a week off with school holidays. Yes, it was lovely <laughs> getting yeah, away right. and uh, helping our New South Wales tourism. Excellent. Excellent. We've all got to do feet. that everywhere. All right, let's take a look at our uh, stock of the day first up. We always look at a stock that's in the news. Thought we'd have a look at Michael Hill Jewelry uh, Jewelers today, uh, a really well-known brand, and uh, it's reported uh, a four percent drop in fourth quarter sales, which um, actually I, I thought was pretty good. Um, um, affected by COVID, of course, forcing it to forcing it to temporarily close seven stores in Victoria due to the six-week lockdown. The group's Canadian business suffered the most in percentage terms, with sales sliding 38%. Uh, here at home, sales dropped by over 8% to $32 million. However, its online sales hit new highs in the fourth quarter, up almost 200% on the same quarter last year. And the chief executive said there was no doubt economic uncertainty will continue, but said the company had made a solid start to the 2021 financial year. Howard Coleman, what do you reckon of uh, Michael Hill Jewellers? For a retailer, it was a particularly good report. And the interesting thing is that the well-run retailers all seem to be doing well despite COVID. Uh, it seems to be the retailers that were in trouble before COVID that are in deep trouble now. And uh, so I thought the report was quite good. But overall, with Michael Hill, they've had quite decent return on equity for a number of years. Company, of course, was started in New Zealand, I think, by Michael Hill himself. And uh, he and his wife, the wife, I think, mainly focuses on the marketing. He focuses on the um, the actual styling, the design of the jewellery. And um, But it hasn't really been growing its earnings per share. So return on equity is quite good. Debt's quite low. But they really haven't been growing earnings per share. Now, the most encouraging thing out of the report to me is that they're closing 10 unperforming stores or underperforming stores. Uh, a good retailer looks to keep their leases as short as possible to get rid of any stores that are not performing and keep on all the stores that are performing. So that will hopefully help them. And as you say, David, that the online sales uh, were up nearly 200%. 
but still only a very small proportion of their sales, only 4.6%. And there are other retailers doing a much bigger percentage of sales uh, through online. So uh, they've got a long way to go to really move that. So, you know, reasonable um, without being exciting. Uh, and in terms of its share price, being right down in the bottom quartile of its PE ratios, uh, it's actually not at a bad price now if one was looking to buy it, considering it's just had quite a decent report. Yeah, okay. Adam, what do you think of um, Michael Hill and this report, as, as Howard would say? Better than I expected. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely retailer. better. I, I probably would steer clear of any kind of retail, especially uh, in that jewelry space. Levisa would probably be one that I would look right, at. Right. Uh, that is for more the younger person who has more disposable income, as well as then the Levisa jewelry is more disposable as well. So it's a, yeah. sort of this high sort of turnover jewelry. Michael Hill jewelry is probably a little bit more old world, right. and uh, that's that'd be one thing. The second thing I'd, I'd, I'd say about this is that I was actually speaking to someone in retail just last week and talking about their leases. They had 58 different leasing agreements around Australia, and this is quite a large listed um, a retailer, closed retailer, and they basically said that Westfield is going to start legal proceedings on a lot of these retail outlets for not paying rent. Oh, okay. So, so Solomon Lou, watch out. There you go. <laughs> it wasn't Solomon Lou that I was talking to. But no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. absolutely. Wow. Solomon Lou, absolutely. Premier Investments. Because he, he's been threatening the landlords, correct. has he, with yep. his Smiggle and Peter Alexander and yep. saying, fellas, if you think I'm going to pay rent, yep. be, when you haven't been open. So they, they were having uh, people who were... Uh, Companies were being locked out of stores because yeah. they weren't being they weren't paying their rent, right. and so I think that it's going to get quite ugly over the next six mm. to twelve months with that stoush that potentially Westfield's got a lot of money and they yeah. will be able to fight this quite hard and they've got contractual agreements in place. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, so I'd be cautious on any kind of retailer yeah. at the moment. Michael Hill is very much in that mall space. You yeah, know, that's where they that's where they sit. They don't have their own sort of premises. They sit in those malls, so I'd be a little bit cautious. Uh, so, no, it's probably not one right. for me. All right, let's get into uh, your 10 stocks that you've suggested. And Adam Lakshan has um, has asked for an opinion on Polynovo. Now, mm. you know, a medtech company, but um, I love these stories. Yeah. Are they developed, technology developed by the CSIRO following yep. the Bali bombings? It's all about sort of almost biodegradable material to help bone fractures, uh, skin grafts, skin damaged cart cartilages. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing little business, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, and I love it because everyone goes, oh, you know, we're, we're not an educated company. We're a country. We're a dumb country. We're not. Yes. Um, and, and this is proof of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, look, the stock has done very, very well. So, yeah. you know, it's it's been a... It's been a fantastic story for that sort of synthetic uh, grafting or skin grafting, those kinds of things. Yep. So, yeah, it's been amazing. And they, they actually now are going into the US and have a UK sales team as well. Uh, and they have some in Europe as well. They've got eight hospitals using their technology uh, as well in Germany. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic story. However, I probably think it has run a little bit hard here and probably I would have a hold on right. it. Yep. Um, there is two reasons. One is I think it's, it's, it's run already too hard, but there's a like-for-like a, a -like company mm. that is looking to list on the ASX as well. It's a New yeah. Zealand company uh, where Polynova uses this synthetic uh, material to graft and do these skin grafts. New Zealand company is looking at organic 
oh. materials, which is uh, um, uh, basically the stomach of a cow, uh, and to use that wow. as, as skin grafts. So that New Zealand company mm. is looking to list here in Australia. So there will be some more competition. No, right. com not, competition's not bad, yeah. but uh, again, it will be that sort of first mover advantage that I think um, this Polynovo has already, and probably will see the New Zealand company that lists probably start to take a bit of that market right. share as oh, well. That's interesting. So a little bit concerning about that, but the right. technology's there, it's been proven, it works, and all they need to do is increase yeah. those sales. And well-run company, have you? Uh, we just had the five-year chart. When you say it's had a big run, it's in the last year, yes. isn't it? 18 yeah. months, it's had yeah. a, a massive run up. Yeah, and it's also, it, it's grabbing the market's attention now with yep. those hospitals using it and sales coming yeah. through. So, you know, it, it has... Look at that from the middle of 2018, if yeah, you like. 18, it's, 19, and then, and then really sort of run through. So 30 or 40 cents. The, these these tech, uh, no, no technology companies, these med biotech, yeah. med tech companies or biotech companies, they take time. You can see that five-year chart where it did yeah. nothing for a long, yeah. long time and sort of had to raise money to keep the thing going and things like yeah. that. And now the sales are starting to kick in and, and everything yeah. else. So I, it's a hold for me, right. but a very good yeah. company. Okay. Howard, what do you think of Polynovo? Yeah, I've got the different view. I think what it does is absolutely wonderful. Uh, and as you mentioned, David, uh, people often don't think of us as a smart country, but certainly in the medical field, um, we produce some amazing new research that becomes uh, very valuable products in the medical field. Um, but I, I, I don't see this as a business. Um, so far, all it's proved is that it's phenomenally good at developing a product and at getting some sales. But they reported today and they reported how their sales were up. They, they had an announcement, I should say, rather than reported. But they didn't mention a, a single word about whether they were profitable. Now, this company has never, ever made a profit, which means it isn't a business. It's a medical researching group um, who loved uh, developing products and loved selling their products, but have forgotten that the prime objective of a business is to make a profit for the shareholders. After all, shareholders share in the profits of the company. If there are no profits, all that the shareholders get is a periodic announcement that they want more money from the shareholders because they're raising capital. And that's what Polynovo have done. They've had a couple of capital raisings over the last 10 years. They've yet to show a profit. And it's all very well to announce increasing sales, but in the same announcement to the market, you should at least say either, yeah. are you making a profit? or when you're going to make a profit. Otherwise, you're a wonderful story, which they are, but not a business, which they're not. Howard, what do you think of our, our net stock suggested by David? Identity, this is sort of a, a blockchain business, isn't it? That is uh, um, sort of bringing that blockchain technology to banking. Yes, and in, in, in fact, again, um, something that's doing something rather interesting, but it's only been listed for about a year and it hasn't made a profit. And it's a bit hard to tell uh, if this is ever going to make a profit. So certainly it sounds like what it's doing is worth reading about, but I wouldn't, uh, and I don't think any team invest members would consider putting any money into it, but maybe in a few years time, if, if it looks like what they're developing uh, is actually able to generate uh, genuine revenue and, and genuine profits, then it's worth looking at. But at this stage, it sounds like a great idea that raised some money, um, has so far spent, uh, you know, its first year of existence, it, it, it had a, 
the return on equity of minus 152%, which means it must have had at least two capital raisings in that time. So uh, not a company I would look at uh, or Team Invest members would look at, but I don't really know yeah. anything about it. So uh, uh, yeah. it may have prospects, don't know. Adam, as Howard was saying, relatively newly listed up yeah. around that 80, 90 cent uh, mark. and Yeah, it's now 10 cents. 10 cents or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, obviously the market doesn't believe that potentially they're going to do well. But, you know, with a software business, the whole idea of a software as a service or this, these kinds of fintech businesses is that they win a couple of good contracts, there's their, their base, and then everything that goes on top of that is cream. So yeah. Howard's absolutely right. I, I wouldn't look at this one either. However, the technology that it sits in there and that blockchain with the fintech side of things and the company being able to provide those services to banking and institutional uh, clients, that's actually quite important mm. and will be developed and will be a very good technology going forward. So yeah. there's probably particularly a pathway there that you'd be watching this one. It's not one for me at all as well. I agree with Howard on that. However, the actual story and the technology that they yeah. bring to the market and with the amount of compliance that's going on at the moment, it's in a niche mm. that is quite, uh, quite so has even some the, good growth. Even the stock exchange looking at blockchain technology. Yeah, well, they've yeah. put it back a, a couple of years, but yeah, yeah absolutely, they're going to be using that as well. And we'll, yeah. we'll be, as the ASX or a market participant, we'll be doing that as well. And there'll be instant settlements on, on things. Yeah. So it's the technology and the speed at which that technology is going to run is going to be amazing when it comes through. Yeah, okay. All right, so I know for identity, David, thanks for suggesting it. Uh, Roy, um, Roy has suggested the next one. Um, Adam, Resi Mac Group, it's a, mm. a lender for, um, sort of a specialist lender um, for home loans and, uh, and financing for those people who don't have great credit ratings. And yeah. uh, is it harsh to call it a, a payday lender type? Uh, business or probably probably a little bit harsh, harsh for right. that, but you know I, I think with uh, Resimac, I mean it, it is in that interesting space uh, of um, the the home loan lending or sort of and and yeah. what they've able to do is they've actually able to sort of increase uh, their net interest margin is what you want in yeah. in, in a lender or or a bank as such, uh, and their their mortgage book has increased as well. So fundamentally, I think that the the business is okay. And most brokers or most people have increased their earnings per share forecast on this one. So it does seem to be going in the right direction, but it does it does trade at a fair bit of discount to where its its book or its average should be right. for, for the for the. So it lends the, to higher risk borrowers, doesn't correct. it? If you yeah. like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, uh, and a lot of them that banks won't touch. So yep. there is a market for that, yeah. and hence you pay a higher interest rate or you pay more yeah. To, yeah. to to get that loan. To compensate for the risk that Resimac does take uh, for that, but um, you know, I, I think I, I'm not a huge fan of the regionals, and this is where it sort of sits with the Bendigo, Bank of Queensland, my state, those kinds of things. Yeah, um, they're they're price takers, not makers. So in other words, they when they need to get funding, they take what they can get. Whereas Commonwealth Bank right. can go out to the market and say, well, I want to I want to get a billion dollars. And I'm going to give you. So they're, right. they're the price makers, yep. not the takers. So and their so, cost of funds are... Correct, are lower and hence that margin is better. So right. I'd always steer clear of those sort of mid-range, mid-tier regional sides of things and always stick with the big four. Okay, all right. Howard, what do you think of uh, Resimac? Yeah, I'm with Adam on this. I mean, it, it, on the surface, it looks quite good. Return on equity is quite good. You can't really look at debt for a business like this because it 
debt is its product, really. And earnings per share have grown very slowly, but they have been growing, so at least they're beating inflation. But uh, like Adam, uh, you know, it, I'm not enthused about it. It's, it's lending to people that can't generally get loans from the banks. And at the moment, that's quite easy to do because they can get residential mortgage-backed security. They can package them together and sell them off because interest rates are incredibly low. But we won't always have incredibly low interest rates. And companies like these tend to really struggle when money gets harder to find. At the moment, you know, the world's awash in money. Um, when money is no mm. longer as freely available, uh, these are not great companies. And again, like Adam, uh, if I'm going to invest in anything that's lending on housing, uh, the Commonwealth Bank's a far safer place than Resimac. Yep, OK. All right. Howard Mike has um, asked for an opinion on um, Envision, Envision Medical Devices. Um, they're um, into diagnostic um, technology around identifying strokes, aren't they? Yeah, sort of uh, almost like portable x-ray machines. I mean, I'm sure that's not the correct term for them, but uh, that's the way I think of them. You know, uh, small machines, they say they'll eventually even be able to get it down to working off a tablet or a mobile phone that can right. do uh, instant uh, scanning or looking inside the body, excuse my lack of medical knowledge. Um, but uh, the, the, the beauty of it is, again, terrific technology. The problem is, though, that um, it's only had one year of history, so we don't yet know if this is going to be a company that actually makes a profit. And it's always dangerous to invest in something uh, when so far it's a great story rather than it's proven itself as a business because you don't actually know if the management are capable of running a business well. All you know is they're capable of developing a terrific product. So re reading about the products, I think it sounds great. And, um, you know, it uh, maybe uh, somebody like Integral Diagnostics one day would be interested in it uh, to buy it because uh, uh, it, it may be useful for them. But at this stage, too early for me or Team Invest members right. to anything other than enthused about the product. Um, and Adam, a portable medical advice for stroke diagnosis when yeah. they say it's a, if you have a stroke, if you can identify it in the first two or three hours, you can almost recover back to normal. Absolutely. Any longer, you're knackered. Aren't yeah, you? it's, um, absolutely. it's really imposed. So um, great device if they can and get oh. it going and obviously the share market quite likes it. Well they do because the addressable market for strokes in the US alone is $105 billion, right? Oh. So that, that, I mean, addressable market, whether they're going to get 1% or, you know, whatever, right. but that that's quite a large market just for the US. And yep. we are all getting a little bit fatter and we're all getting a little bit lazier and we all, you know, and stroke is, is one of those yeah. uh, byproducts. It's of, a real silent killer. Absolutely. So the provision of that bedside monitoring is actually quite uh, unique and yep. it is an unmet uh, tactic that nurses and hospitals can use for for this um, for this uh, product that, that, that they have, um, the only thing that I, I, I I'm not a fan of this, uh, and and I need more history, as Howard has said. But what I do like about this business is that it, it um, has reusable parts that you use it once, and then you got to throw it away, and then you got to buy more. Ah, okay, so with okay. most medical devices like ResMed, those kinds yep. of things, you've got the device, but then you've actually got the wearables and right. the and the things that need to be 
put onto this. It's like that, your, your Nespresso machine. There you go. You know, the machine's cheap, but the pods, pods that you the, get. That's right, the usable part <laughs> yeah. portion of it. That's right, which so, is your annuity. Yes, and that's yeah. what I like about this business. And that's right. where, it, you know, yes, you get some sales. Yes, you get them, put them in hospitals. Yes, people start using it. But then it's the actual ongoing revenue that potentially right. this thing can grow. And I think that's what the mm. market's really focusing on. That's why the stock has run where it has because they can potentially see that ongoing revenue right. once they get these uh, contracts locked in. Okay. So yeah, um, you know, for me, it, it, it's not one that I'd look at probably too high risk because it is in that growth thematic. So yep. potentially for some clients that are of mine that have that sort of overall feeling that they want something a little bit more high growth, we could look at it. But generally, yeah, it wouldn't be something that I'd put in clients' right. portfolios. Yeah, but an interesting one. So. It's, um, I use the Nespresso thing to oh, sort of just that yeah. analogy, but it's, it's like this move of um, software companies to software as a service, isn't yes. it? That you don't hit a client up with the, the big upfront costs. That's right. You, you do it on a monthly basis subscription. So this is sort of like that oh, yeah. a, in 100%. medical devices. Those consumables that need to be purchased yeah. as required for mm, using those systems. Yeah. And you can't not have those consumables. So. Yeah like ResMed has been a fantastic story because of the face mask and you need to replace that every six yep. months. And you yep. can't use uh, another Fisher & Paykel one, yeah. you need to use the ResMed mask. So, so that's you're a where sticky customer. Absolutely. Stay with them. Yeah. All right, uh, Howard Adam has uh, asked for an opinion on IPH Limited. This is the, I, the IP and that stands for intellectual property. And they basically, um, help companies and people and manage and store international property rights, uh, not only here, but throughout a lot of Asia. Yeah, and uh, again, you know, we, we certainly have had companies today that are interesting in terms of what they do, and this is another one of them. So um, well done viewers from that point of view. Uh, this one's got good return on equity. Their return on equity has been averaging a little bit under 20% a year for the last several years. Mm. That's really mm. good, a uh, very good sign. Uh, debt levels are close to zero, a little bit more in the last little while. They've made one or two acquisitions of other IP lawyers. So that's pushed up the debt a bit, but it's still low enough that uh, it passes our filters. Earnings haven't really been growing very fast, but they've been growing a little bit faster than inflation at about 4.5% per year. So uh, at a time of no inflation, I suppose that's sort of okay. The interesting thing is their sales have been growing a lot faster than their um, earnings per share, sales per share being growing faster, which is obviously that their margins are coming down, which suggests there may be a little bit more competition out there than there used to be. Uh, share price is sort of in about the middle of its PE range, a little bit above the middle. So it's certainly a company that's worth having a look at with high return on equity, low debt and earnings growing a bit. But um, the earnings aren't growing at a rate that's all that exciting. And when you consider what they do, um, you'd think that pretty much any law firm could probably decide it wants to have a spin-off that is going to specialize in this as well. So it's not really a company where uh, you, you're going to develop any long sustainable competitive advantage or moat, as Warren Buffett would call it, and we would call it in Team Invest. So, uh, you know, I, I think it looks pretty good. Um, but I'm not jumping up and down with excitement about it. Okay, Adam, yeah, are you excited? Uh, Howard, from all of those metrics, it actually sounds like uh, this one is probably one for your investors, but uh, 
it doesn't seem like you're, you're too uh, taken by it. And even the dividend yield is actually quite good as well. So I'm surprised that uh, you're not interested yeah. in this one. Uh, good point, Adam. Uh, earnings per share growing a little bit too slowly uh, at being only a bit above inflation. But the biggest thing is we don't see it as a company with any significant moat. Um, it's too easy for any legal firm to copy the same and do the same sort of thing. Yeah, the, the only thing I would say on top of all of that is that, that um, law firms and especially uh, these kinds of lawyers and there are other, other lawyers on listed shine lawyers and, and, and things like that, um, their revenue is very lumpy. Right. So, um, you know, you, you, you can't forecast out where that revenue is going to come from. You know, they win a case or they lose a case, these kinds of things, it's quite lumpy. So sometimes those cases can go fall over into the new financial year and when you're trying to model that and it, and it falls out, yep. it actually looks like a downgrade because right. it hasn't come in at the right time. So revenue is model is very, very tough for us to monitor. Okay, that's our uh, first five stocks plus our stock of the day. Um, let's just do a bit of a, a recap. Michael Hill Jeweler after this morning's announcement. Um, Howard saying, worth a look at on the, um, on the, uh, on the financials. Um, Adam saying he likes La Visa instead. Uh, Polynovo, uh, great technology. Adam uh, sees it as a hold on that. Um, Howard saying wants to see more profits uh, being identified. Identity, a no from both uh, Resimac, a no. Uh, Envision, a no. IPH, um, Howard again on the pure financials uh, worth maybe having a look at, but not terribly exciting and certainly not exciting for Adam. Let's go to our uh, our six stocks suggested by Simon and Howard. Um, this is a, um, a a testing business, ALS Limited, but certainly not testing in the medical field. This is t- testing yeah. in the resources field, isn't it? Um, a really interesting company. I didn't realise it started as a small chemical company back in 1863 mm. and listed in 1952, and basically it, it tests in agriculture construction and um, and resources, doesn't it? Um, sort of yes. soils and, and deposits. Yes, and in fact, it was originally Campbell Brothers before it got into resource testing and uh, yeah. used to be an extremely well-run company past all our filters that had very high return on equity, had low debt, its earnings were growing fast. And I think it then expanded a bit too much overseas and made the mistake of getting into something it had never been in before. It bought a group in the United States called Reservoir Group that was about the same size, if I remember correctly. I may be a little bit out, but I think it was approximately the same size. So it was a vi- this wasn't an elephant eating an ant. It was an elephant trying to eat another elephant. And um, they did it just at the time that um, oil prices started to drop they paid a lot of money and then announced about a year later that some of the metrics that uh, and financials, when they started investigating what they'd bought, uh, looked like they weren't quite what they'd been told during due diligence. So there was a bit of a fuss about that. And ever since they made that acquisition, their return on equity has been about half what it used to be, still reasonably okay, but half what it was. Their debt level's now too high. Earnings per share has uh, gone down to only a few percent a year. So while uh, it's it doesn't look bad, it, it's gone from being a, a really terrific company 
to being one with a lot of problems it's got to sort out with this acquisition of a few years ago before we would be comfortable with it in mm. team investing mm. in. But okay. its metrics still okay. look reasonable. Okay. And mm. Adam, this is huge, as Howard was yeah. saying. 13,000 staff, 65 countries. Yeah, it's, it's, it is massive. And, and you'd think with the commodity prices where they are at the moment, gold, copper, you know, at yep. these elevated levels, you would see a lot more profitability coming back into these businesses. But, and, and their geochem volumes have been down around about 30% due to COVID and those kinds of things as well. Um, I've been a seller of this one. Anytime clients have it in their portfolios, if, uh, you know, back in the day, as Howard said, this was a darling, a market darling and a very, very well-run company. It isn't that the same company that it is today. Yeah. And I've been a seller of this one. Look, it does look like it potentially could have some uplifted sort of that total shareholder return with the dividend. You know, you would expect it to be lifted up a little bit. But it's a business that is very far stretched, too much staff, too much costs. Um, and I don't think that there's any sort of catalyst for it to move higher at the moment. It's a good lesson for investors, though, isn't it? That, you yeah. know, was it because of the acquisition that it just Correct. stretched Absolutely. management yeah. too far beyond their capabilities, if so, you like, or didn't gear up for it? Absolutely. So Vocus is a classic example of another business ah. in the telco space. But, you know, it was a very good, well-run company, did exactly what it was supposed to do, subsea cable internet, that was it. But then it went and acquired all these other businesses and then brought some of these other bad businesses in. Management came in uh, from these other businesses and got seats on the board. And it's now a, a, a mid-tier telco that really isn't doing much again. Right. So it is a very good lesson uh, when you try and grow too quickly or growth by acquisition. Uh, you get digestion pains, you know, yeah. bringing these things in. And uh, sometimes it's, Organic growth is a far better way of growing a business versus growth by acquisition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Rather than Absolutely. run the risk of inheriting somebody else's problems, Howard. And debt, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you, you've often said on the call that anyone who makes an overseas acquisition, you always shudder. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this one had three things that you'd shudder about. One, the acquisition was overseas. Two, the acquisition was huge relative to the size of the company that was doing the acquiring. So, you know, if you make an overseas acquisition and it's tiny and you get it wrong, well, you can digest it. And yep. number three, yep. it was in a field that was different to the field they were in before then because they hadn't been in oil and gas. So there were three good reasons why it was a bad idea. Interestingly, uh, Adam was saying getting clients out of it. Um, I used to own it and many Team Invest members owned it. And when it made the acquisition a reservoir group, one of our team invest meetings failed it in, in our smart process based on those three things. And I sold okay. my shares okay. as I think most team invest members did and yep. landed up being okay. very relieved. Yeah, I bet they did. Uh, all right, uh, so there you go, Simon. Uh, thanks for the suggestion on ALS. Um, Adam, Jake uh, wants an opinion on National Australia Bank, one of the big four. Yeah. Well, we could probably talk about all of the banks, I guess, in, yeah. in, in the big four space, but certainly NAB as well. Uh, it's probably uh, my, my preferred listing in the banks is Commonwealth, uh, Westpac, NAB, and then ANZ. They're right. sort of the, the sort of Commonwealth being the top and ANZ sort of being at the lower end. Uh, NAB has always done well for its business banking or small to medium yep. business banking, and that has, uh, I guess, seen it through some tough times as well. Uh, again, they've made a lot of acquisitions overseas and then come back with their tail between their legs trying to make things work out of this one. 
I certainly think that the banks as a whole uh, have been unfairly treated to uh, a large degree where um, they have to kept up their T1 capital ratio, which is, has been uh, forced on them since the GFC. Yeah. And they've actually been able to survive this COVID world very, very well. I think it was right for other banks not to or to defer, defer their dividend. NAB didn't. They paid a small dividend out of that, and I think that's fair. Um, but a lot of self-managed super funds and a lot of clients have banks in their portfolio because yeah. it's pretty rock solid and they've always paid a dividend. But banks at the moment are challenged in the growth space because they aren't allowed to take on risk, potential risk or, or higher risk to get that growth going. Yeah. Hence why we like Macquarie as a business because yeah. it is able to take on that risk and it is doing very, very well. So NAV for me is, is something if you've got it in the portfolio, I would be holding it. I wouldn't change it to buy Commonwealth Bank or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I would add to uh, a Commonwealth Bank position if, if on any price weakness. But NAV for me, um, in that small to medium business space is a hold, it's not a buy. Right. It does pay a larger dividend than most other of the banks, so it does have that sort of something like that going against it. But their T1 ratio or the T1 equity capital ratio uh, is, is a little bit lower at the moment. They will need to raise some money sooner mm. or later. So we will probably see another either hybrid issue or they'll need to come to the market and raise some capital. Okay. Um, Westpac has already done that. Um, and yes, yeah, there's too many things for me at the moment in the banking sector. It's something that we've always got in clients' portfolio, but prefer CBA and Macquarie are my two big okay. picks in that area. All right, Howard? Yeah, I'd go along with that. And then in, in, in fact, pretty much everything Adam said. Uh, adding one extra thing, NAB, over the last 25 years or so, if you put $100,000 into NAB getting a wonderful dividend yield, and you put $100,000 into CSL getting a terrible dividend yield uh, 25 years ago, for, even forgetting the share price, when uh, at NAB the share price is lower than it was 25 years ago, and in CSL it's about uh, more than 10 times where it was 25 years ago, you'd actually be getting more dollars in dividends off your original $100,000 investment in CSL today dividends per year than you get from NAB. And this is this trap that so many people make. They say, oh, that's got a great dividend yield. I must buy into that company. But if the company's earnings shrink, the dividend shrinks, but the yield as a percentage looks good simply because the share price is going in the wrong direction. And in yeah. the end, you get fewer yeah. dollars to feed yourself. And remember, you don't live off percentages, you live off dollars. So the fact that you're getting a wonderful percentage, but it's fewer dollars, uh, you're better off getting a lower percentage that turns into more dollars as you get older. Yeah, yep. that's a really, really good point. All right, there you go, Jake. Uh, good analysis of National Australia Bank. Uh, Howard, let's go back to the retail sector. Carl is asking for a, a view on JB Hi-Fi, which is, uh, of all the retailers, sort of Kogan and JB Hi-Fi, <laughs> have sort of been the darlings of COVID, haven't they? And Nick uh, yes, Scarley, I suppose. You, you, you can probably add an accent group to that as well. Yep. Um, yes, uh, most definitely. Uh, you know, JB Hi-Fi has uh, been an extremely well-run business from before the time of COVID. And COVID, uh, like I mentioned earlier on with recessions, um, are always great for well-run businesses. And that's been the case here. So they've been benefiting at the expense of some of their competitors. 
I'm sure by the time this whole COVID problem is over, whenever that happens to be, they will have fewer competitors than they started off having. And their online offering has been doing incredibly well. Their online sales have been rising uh, enormously. So, uh, you know, it's got high return on equity, which it's had for uh, a decade. Its debt levels at one stage got up a bit high when they did a share buyback using debt. Uh, never a clever thing to do, but their debt levels are now quite manageable. And earnings per share have been growing at about 12% a year for about a decade. So, um, you know, on that basis, it's the kind of company that uh, turns into a wealth winner. And it's not on a particularly high PE at 19. But the more interesting thing is that in both of the last two years, you could have bought into this company at some point at a PE ratio of half what it is today. Yeah. Now, uh, at those times, of course, you had Russell Zimmerman of the Retail Association saying retail's doing it tough and the share price of things like JV Hi-Fi drops. And of course, that's wonderful news because that's when you buy the great companies when everybody says the industry is doing it tough. Yep. Adam? So is it a buy, Adam? Howard? Not at these prices. It's a great business, but it's. Uh, uh, I wouldn't be buying it at a PE of 19 when it, when it also gets to a PE of nine in, in most years. So, you know, PE anywhere around about 12 or so, I'd be happily buying, but not at 19, no. Okay. Oh, that's fair. All right. Uh, uh, look, you know, uh, I think online uh, like like-like sales over the April May period was around about thirty-three percent. So it was actually doing very very well compared to February March. Sorry, February yeah February March was around about eleven percent. So their like-like sales has started to grow and and, mm. and doing very well. The good guys was an actually good acquisition for them, and they've really rolled that in doing that white good space as well, and that has, has certainly done very very well for them. The reason why, and look, I agree with how it up here, it, it, it looks a little bit toppy, albeit it's taking out new highs at the moment. So yeah. potentially it, it could continue to keep going. New, so, new highs in this environment yeah. too. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable, isn't yeah. it, that, that they're doing that. Um, one of the things that I like about JB Hi-Fi is that they're very, very nimble on their inventory. So whatever's coming up, whatever's the new thing, the new iPhone or the new Apple product or the new online uh, uh, um business that they can come out they change their inventory very very quickly yep. remember they used to do a lot of cds or dvds yeah, back yeah. in the day now yep. that used to be half their floor space now it's probably you know <laughs> a quarter not even that 10 yeah. like percent of their floor space but yep. the, the you know the gaming side of things or the computers or those kinds of things so they're quite nimble in in finding out the next trend and then putting that on the shelves and then moving that forward so that's what i do really like about them uh, you know, it would have been great around that March 23rd to be picking this thing up, albeit yeah. the world was about to fall in. So mm. you needed to be brave and that's when you needed to. But anything, uh, I, I, I like this story. Retail isn't a huge area that I do invest in, so it is quite fickle, but JB Hi-Fi has done very, very well. I probably prefer Kogan or Temple and right. Webster okay. uh, as, as two sort of... Well, they're at record highs too, aren't they? <laughs> so that's that online side of things. Yep. JB Hi-Fi has, has done a fantastic job and it's been an absolute winner for a lot of a lot of people. Just cautious at these levels. And if right. we did get a pullback, absolutely, as Howard okay. said, I'd be buying it. All right, buying a pullback. All right. Absolutely. Um, Adam, uh, so there you go. Carl, thanks for the suggestion. Adam Mack. Uh, wants a view on Beach Energy, the big oil and gas listed yeah. producer here in Australia. A um, lot of talk about it wanting to buy into the Northwest Shelf when everyone else wants to get out. Yep. Um, 
So certainly pretty aggressive. And it was a former uh, Woodside executive, um, uh, Woodside Petroleum executive. Well, hence probably why they're wanting yeah. to go into the Northwest yeah. Shelf. And we he, know that Chev- yeah. we know we know Chevron is selling their sixteen point six percent stake in the Northwest Shelf. So obviously Woodside is probably the most favoured one with the balance sheet. Beach Petroleum probably has to take on some more debt to, to, to do that. And I think they've already done a couple of acquisitions in that M&A space. So their debt levels are quite high. I'll probably reserve my judgment. These guys are actually reporting on the 22nd of July, so next oh, week. Right. So I'd be definitely right. keeping an eye out for that one. We saw Cenex upgrade uh, the other day which is in the same space, and that's actually done very, very well over the last coming couple of days. And Woodside, big write-offs. Big write-offs. Well, we knew Woodside was going to write that off. I mean, BP, uh, ExxonMobil have all done write-downs, and so it really wasn't a surprise to the institutional clients or to anybody, really. And the stock actually fell a little bit, but has sort of recovered today on a a stronger market. So, yeah, uh, uh, write-downs, yes, uh, is is an issue for Woodside. That's probably my more more preferred space is the Woodsides of the world because of that balance sheet and the yep. pro- and the ability to pay dividends, as well as then potentially being able to take that. It's a $2 billion stake that they might try and take off uh, Chevron for that as well. And that will provide them some growth right. going forward. For Beach, I'm going to say it's a hold until yep. the 22nd of next July. Week. Next week, they're going to report their quarterly. Then I get some information. Then I'm going to be able to look into the company. Potentially is for those clients that want a higher risk space. Uh, Oil Search, Beach, uh, Santos, those kinds of things. Uh, I'd, I'd be careful in that space. But it's a hold from me waiting until they report next week. Okay. Howard? Yeah, I think it, uh, when something's about to report next week, it's wisest to wait and see, especially with something as volatile as oil and gas. Uh, the problem with oil and gas is that these are high-risk investments. So it doesn't matter which company you're in. Um, it's obviously more high-risk than Woodside, but less high-risk than many others in the field. Well-run business. But it's hard to run a business well, even if you're running, uh, you know, even if you do the right things, when you have absolutely no control over the price that you can sell your product for. That's decided at OPEC meetings and uh, how the world economy is doing. And the world at the moment is awash in oil. Now, of course, the fact that we're awash in oil and gas means prices have come down, which means, of course, in about five years' time, everybody will be dusting off their articles on peak oil because there'll be a shortage because nobody will be doing any exploration. And I counted that I've been through, I've lived through four peak oils. Um, I hope by the time I eventually cease being on this earth, I'll have reached at least seven. But I'm sure there will be more than 100 years worth of oil left after, even after that seventh one. But at the moment, uh, getting into any uh, oil and gas producer, you've got to be fairly brave. The Saudis can increase production dramatically. Russia can increase production dramatically. The American oil fields are now being uh, reduced in production, but they can catch up again fairly quickly. So it's very hard to see the oil price helping beach energy uh, in the foreseeable future. Uh, we'd have to wait for the next peak oil story before that happens. So yeah. Uh, yeah. a no from me. All right, our final stock comes from Max. And uh, Howard, this drone shield, it's called. Now, we watch all these, uh, if you watch Homeland or all these things and drone <laughs> technology and, you know, silently taking out ISIS and Al-Qaeda from the air, um, this doesn't produce the drones. This produces the shield to stop you being shot down, doesn't it? 
basically. Yes, uh, uh, a really well, interesting, interesting business. Again, a really interesting business. We've had a number of them today that are really interesting. The trouble is the word business doesn't necessarily apply again because it's never made a profit. So it, it does some very interesting things. And you'd think it would be able to make a profit. But just having a product that people would like to have doesn't turn you into a business that makes a profit. That needs skilled management who make sure that more money comes in than goes out. And so far, that doesn't seem to be the case with Drone Shield. They've been listed four years. They must have had several capital raisings because their return on equity has been minus 146%, minus 188%, minus 308%, and minus 115% over four years. So they've been mining their shareholders' wallets extremely well um, with a great idea and great technology that so far they haven't been able to show how they can yep. make any money. Okay. So and, infinite uh, no money. Yep. Uh, Adam, but it's... Uh... You know, you immediately think, well, um, uh, Scott Morrison is saying the world's going to be a more dangerous place out of the yeah. pandemic. We're going to put a couple of billion into uh, security and defence and Donald Trump. And you go, whoa, could, it, could they be uh, a recipient of some of that? Well, they but, certainly would be because a lot of wars now are being fought by drones. By these drones, They're yeah. not fought on the ground yeah. with boots on the ground and things yeah. like that. So their technology, Drone Shield, is their technology is they actually take over the drone and then don't send it to the ground, but actually then you are they send it back to where it was actually uh, originated, so they oh. can find out where uh, they're, they're, they're they're driving it or they're right. using it yeah, from, yeah. or they can take control of it and then put it into a, a big open field, because a lot of the times with these technologies that they'll take over the drone and then make it fall, and if it's yeah. got a bomb or if it's got something in there and it falls in the middle of a, a football stadium yeah. or something You're like that. Underneath. Exactly. Yeah. So their technology is actually uh, quite wow. interesting that it actually takes over uh, the drone. Uh, it's not for me. It, I, I have looked at this and we have seen the company a couple of times over the last coming couple of years. But yeah, they, they, they'll be short on money again. They will need to raise capital. Right. Um, they all will trade by appointment as far as a, a, an announcement. They've made a contract with the Australian government. They've made a contract with the US government. They've been able to do you know that kind of thing. Yep. Potentially there's some potentially there's some uh, activity there. You could take advantage of that activity, but I'm always cautious about you working with the military because they can basically change their mind, stroke of a pen. They can move <laughs> on to somebody else, and they've got better technology. And uh, yeah, it's not one for me. And I think we were talking about a similar company the other day on the call, and you know what sends these share prices up is saying we've got a contract with such and such, That's but right. they don't say when am I going to get paid for it? <laughs> right. Or quantify actually how much that contract's worth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. All right. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you. Sorry, Howard? I was just saying, or well, is the contract profitable? You know, we've, yeah. we've just sold half a million dollars of so-and-so to somebody, but they don't tell you that it maybe cost them $750,000 to get the deal in the yeah. first place. Yep, exactly. All right, so be careful on that. Just to recap our final five stocks, ALS, a great company in the past, not so much now. Uh, NAB is a hold, if if you've got NAB shares from, from Adam, um, but if you look at banks, uh, Adam prefers Macquarie, uh, a no from Howard. Uh, JB Hi-Fi, great company, yes on a pullback because its share price is massive on its uh, uh, on its earnings per share, virtually every metric at the moment, but a great business if the, the shares pull back in a downturn, yep, stick it away. 
Um, Beach Energy, uh, I'll wait for the announcement until next week. I'll, I'll put it in my little notebook here and we'll come and revisit yeah. it next week. See what it comes out with. A no from Howard and a no on Drone Shield as well. Um, thank you to Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Howard, always a pleasure to have you on the team. Great to be on it and look forward on to me. being on again, uh, Nick, in two weeks' time. Excellent. See you then. And uh, Adam Dawes from Shaw, great to see you. Yes, thank, thank you for that. Some Absolutely. really great opinions there. Now, if you want to suggest any stocks for us, and please don't get narky if we can't do them straight away because we get swamped with people and their suggestions. But we love to hear about interesting companies like some of the ones we heard today. Email the call at ausbiz.com.au or make a suggestion through Twitter using the Ausbiz TV Twitter handle. Uh, coming up this afternoon on the Pulse, Senex Energy Chief Executive Ian Davies returns to Ausbiz with the $400 million uh, Surat Basin project in the bag and what it will mean for the independent oil and gas outfit. That's Ian Davies at 3.25pm right here on Ausbiz. So if you're interested in that oil and gas sector, we're going to go straight to the horse's mouth a little later on Ausbiz. We're going to take a break. Coming up after that, the Pulse stick around. Truly hydrated skin, Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O S E A MALibu.com code SUMMER.